This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. particular message is one that I would, in the natural man, probably avoid. But there is something that God does in me to ready me to speak on topics and on subjects that I would not necessarily desire to address, but because of a burden that begins to form, I recognize that I need to step in, in my role, and speak things that will help remove roadblocks or help remove fog banks. The word of God is given to us for such an hour as this. Most of us have, instead of turning to the word of God in a cultural crisis, we have a tendency to turn to the news or turn to our own philosophies or even turn to some of the previous notions that we've concluded in previous challenges that we've walked through. And what I would encourage all of us to do is freshly turn to the word of God and allow God to speak to us afresh as the church. If if you hang around, Eric, you're going to hear the word afresh a lot. And that's because the idea of doing things afresh is very, very important in the kingdom of heaven. You are supposed to die daily. So I could say, we need to die afresh today. And so you could say, well, I've already died, Eric. Well, I know that, and I'm not questioning the fact that you have come to Jesus and laid down your life and denied yourself. I'm not, not questioning that, but that's why I say, let's do it afresh. And when you walk down this narrow way, you begin to become familiar with what that is, is that in each and every day, we need to re-clarify our position, our faith. Have you ever noticed that you can have a rousing, robust faith one day, and the next day you could be wobbly need? Does that mean you don't believe? No, it just means you're shaken right now and you need to do something. What is it? Believe. You need to freshly rally your soul around what the truth is. Do you believe it or not? Is God a liar or did he speak the truth? Where do you stand right now? And you're gonna see it with the disciples and Jesus is gonna call it oligopistos, a little itsy-bitsy faith that they have. They have faith, but you know what, guys? You're a little wobbly need. So one moment they're saying, you are the Christ. And then the next moment they're you know, questioning everything. They're in the boat, it's filling up with water, their lives are in jeopardy, and they lose sight of who's in the boat with them. Let's not lose sight of who's in the boat with us. We have been brought to this hour, and some of us have want, wished that we could live in a different time period. Because we see a downward trajectory of our culture. We hear doom and gloom constantly. I don't know when the last time is that you heard hope. Uh, When you heard a word that gave you a sense of a future and a hope. It's like, oh, you know what? A glittering, beautiful future where everything's going to align and everything's going to be beautiful. Uh, And if you're a Christian, you have a lot of bad news coming your way. The church itself is fragmenting. The church itself is weak. We have been dividing over all sorts of issues that I'm going to say are peripheral and are not center. 
everything matters. Everything we do matters. It has value. And yet some of us are elevating issues that are low line or low level and putting them up at a pinnacle and it's creating a consternation within the body, which is why I feel it is imperative to address what I'm going to address today because if I don't, I feel like we are vulnerable, even though we have been a very stout body in and through all of COVID-19 where we have been in agreement the entire time. I, we really have not had any rankling or any division in our local body here, which is a, quite a statement since almost every pastor that I know would say the opposite, that it has been an extremely difficult season and that they're splintered over the issues of mask wearing, over the issues of if they should even gather for church and all these things. We have not had those issues, and I cherish that. However, we are headed into some murky waters, and I want to be proactive as the body in how we address that. Okay, so obviously you've seen the title. Those of you that are uh, via podcast, anyone via podcast can cheat because they already know the title when they click on it, you know. But uh, at least you guys have seen it now. The Vaccine Dilemma. It was a hard thing to name, too, because how do you name this without, because I don't know if if you follow all my sermons, you're going to notice that when I bring up a topic like this, I'm never satisfying any one group. I usually just offend everyone. Because I'm not going to give you how you should behave or how, what decision you should make in regards to the vaccine. Isn't that extremely disappointing? Uh, and, and that's what everyone would expect. It's like, hey, if we have a dilemma, to solve the dilemma, you need to tell us what we should do biblically in regards to the vaccine. That's a tricky one. And that's exactly what I want to address, is this is not as cut and dry as some of us have made this. You know, for some of us, it's just like, well, the vaccine is evil, so therefore we cannot take it. And some of you are like, the vaccine is our salvation. This is actually a gift of grace unto the body of Christ, unto the world. And so let's express our love by getting it. And so we have a potential rift coming. I'm just saying it. Because there is no vaccine mandate right now, even though there's a vaccine hint Uh, it's a very strong hint. I'm going to put a capital H on the hint that if you don't get the vaccine, bad things are coming your way in the very near future. And so as a result, it can create a tension very quickly amongst us. So I have a subtitle to this, A Christian Response to the Odd Issues of Our Day. So this actually isn't just vaccine, the vaccine that I want to address. It is the odd issues, which are more than one. Uh, I'm putting a plural uh, on the, the word issue, and we're going to make it issues. We have a lot of issues that are falling into this category that could easily splinter us as the body of Christ. And how embarrassing is it in the light of eternity to be splintered over things like masks and vaccines? It's like, come on, are, is this how it's actually going to play out? So let's walk through this. So for those of you that aren't familiar with what a vaccine is, I just took the, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the CDC, but I I am quoting from the CDC to give a good technical uh, definition of it. A vaccine stimulates your immune system to produce antibodies, exactly like it would if you were exposed to the disease. After getting vaccinated, you develop immunity to that disease without having to get the disease first. This is what makes vaccines such powerful medicine. For all practical purposes, you look at that and it's like it's actually somewhat of a brilliant invention. If you could help people develop an antibody that would defend them against a vaccine, 
or against, I'm sorry, against a virus that is in our world, then why wouldn't every single person want this? It's a good question. That's actually what some people are saying. It's like, why wouldn't every single person want this? This is amazing. So the vaccine debate, why wouldn't everyone jump at the chance to get vaccinated? And there are a whole bunch of people out there. Uh, One of our good buddies, uh, John Elkins, was interviewed, and he hasn't been vaccinated. He's a pastor down in Brazoria, Texas. And so uh, he was interviewed by the BBC. uh, And the, the whole goal of the interview, did you guys see that? That was a very fascinating interview. But the whole goal of the interview was they had an uh, epidemiologist that was like the high-level expert that his goal was to, on the, uh, the broadcast, convince John to get vaccinated. So it was a very unique thing. And he handled it very well. I was actually uh, very impressed with how he walked through. I was actually impressed with the epidemiologist, too. That, that's a, an interesting statement. Both of them were marked by a tremendous amount of grace and care for the other and were willing to listen to the other's viewpoint. I'm just not used to that uh, in our world. And it was like, oh, that was refreshing. Even though it didn't really accomplish anything but show two sides to an issue, uh, it was fascinating. It was at least handled better than I've seen anywhere else. Uh, So the great vaccine debate. Now listen to this and you can start to see why I feel we need to address this. Some say you are not a Christian if you get vaccinated. Now listen to the opposite side. Some say you are not a Christian if you don't get vaccinated. Do you see how this can become a divisive issue? These are very strong position points where if you are actually going to question the integrity of someone's salvation in Christ because they don't get vaccinated, or you're going to question their salvation in Christ by the fact that they do get vaccinated. Did I say that correctly? I think I may have said the same thing twice, but hopefully you can interpret what I meant. Pro-vaccination. So these are people that are for the vaccination. So this is just a side. If someone gets vaccinated, then they are protected from both personally catching the virus and then subsequently spreading the virus unwittingly. Vaccination is a statement of love for those around you. It's a way of saying, I care about you. I'm a safe person to be around. Getting vaccinated removes social roadblocks for both travel and entertainment. It's becoming increasingly more and more challenging to be able to travel it's becoming increasingly more and more difficult to just do normal things without a vaccine passport. And so as a result, a vaccinated person is a person with less social nonsense in their life. Those are, those are good motivations for why to get a vaccine. So then there's this opposite side. And I'm guessing just because I know this audience fairly well that you guys are familiar with this opposite side. And uh, I'm not trying to hyperbolize anything. I'm just trying to be as straightforward as I can. But much of the news today is verifiably fake. Okay, if over the last season, it's become fairly clear that there is a movement towards news that is not true, which means it could have an agenda. Well, how do we know what's true and what's not then? This virus is likely not as bad as the media has claimed, and therefore I'm not going to respond with fear and rush to inject an unproven vaccine into my body. Some of you, I I think I may have heard some amens uh, whispered. The long-range effects of the vaccination, which are completely unknown, are potentially more dangerous than than long-range effects of catching the virus now. In other words, this is how a lot of people are thinking. I actually feel safer being vulnerable to the virus now and catching the virus now and experiencing all the long-range effects that could be associated with that 
because I actually feel like that's lesser than maybe the long-range effects of taking an unproven virus or unproven uh, vaccine into my body. That's just a reasoning point for an anti-vaccination position. And of course, this one is the kicker that uh, many of us have heard whisperings of. The vaccination is a governmental plot to thin out the population and or control the population. Okay, there's, I mean, I've heard all sorts of unique things about what could be in this vaccination, this unproven vaccination, that it's unlike any other vaccination. Some people have said that it actually could include little miniature robots that are entering into our bodies that could potentially either control us or give data uh, on who we are, where we're at, where we're located. And I really don't desire to get into that. I just want to mention it, okay? You can understand why someone would be a little concerned about a vaccine if they actually believed that that was true. Do you follow me on that? In other words, if it was true, I wouldn't blame someone for being <clears throat> desirous to distance themselves from getting a vaccine that is totally unproven and could have some diabolical, demonic intent behind it. How are you guys doing so far? All right, I'm going to make a statement here. And this is actually sort of a core baseline statement for this message. This must not divide us. I'm fully expecting it to divide this culture because our culture, I don't expect a godless culture to behave godly. But I do expect a godly church to behave godly. If we are in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, we have all the tools that we need to navigate through this in a way that honors and respects one another. And that is my commission. My commission isn't to try and force you into a camp of pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. It's to help you recognize that we are being set up here. It's not our issue. I didn't come up with the coronavirus. I didn't come up with uh, some of these lockdowns. I didn't come up with mask mandates. I didn't come up with the vaccine is the solution. This is being thrust upon us as a culture, as a world. We are all walking through something together, and as a result, we need to unite under the banner of Christ and reason together through this of how we can serve one another unto the healthiest ends. This must not divide us. So I'm going to just describe, and I could spend the whole time on this. One of my passion points is what I would call fearlessness. It's a, the biblical framework for how the inner life of the believer is supposed to function. First of all, we do not fear. And yet both of these positions, pro-vaccination and anti-vaccination, both can stem from what we could call a fear perspective. Okay, in other words, pro-vaccination, I mean, uh, hopefully you can fill in the blanks, why do a lot of people get vaccinated? Because they're scared to death of something. Okay, that is one of the motivations. And why do people not get vaccinated? Because they're scared to death of something. Okay, so I'm just going to say that first and foremost, one of the hallmark attributes of the body of Christ throughout the ages is that we are fearless. I don't care if it's the plague, the bubonic plague that is sweeping the land. One of the statements, and I've, I've done exhaustive study on showing how Christians responded during the plague, how they were the ones that literally would go into places to help and serve and to clean people and to nurse them because they trusted that God protected them. 
Okay, now some of you could say, well, that's idiocy is what that is. Call it what you may. However, the church of Jesus Christ has a balm. We have something to go to that no one else in the world does. And we can actually navigate through any time of history with fearlessness. Okay, so that's, again, this is a platform thought. Now, I could just develop this, and I could actually show you just the body of Christ, Jesus himself, and how he navigated. I mean, everyone, every time something tried to reach out and grab him and capture him and arrest him and kill him, they couldn't lay hands on him. And so what you see throughout history is a pattern. You see Paul the apostle as a picture of the body of Christ, even a viper jumps out of the fire and grabs a hold of his hand and this is a poisonous viper. This could like instantly kill you. What does he do? He shakes it off. Is that the way we are? Are we afraid of something latching onto us and destroying our life and our calling? Paul has a commission. He's going to stand before Caesar. Eh. Do you have a commission? Do you have a job? And as a result, if you do, you recognize that there is something far more powerful than a vaccine that we have access to. I just want to lay that as a framework in this, that fear is not our motivator whichever direction we would go. So the fearless body, Psalm 46, one through two, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, that's a pretty extreme circumstance, When earth is being removed and mountains are being carried into the midst of the sea, that's a little more extreme than the fact that there's a pandemic in the world. Okay, but look at this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So does that mean he's a very present help right now? This is the reasoning of the Christian. God is my refuge. He's my strength. As a result, if you know that, you will not fear, though the worst happens around you. You will not fear. This is the reasoning of the body, the fearless body. Mark 16, 17 through 18. That's sort of a cool scripture reference if you look at that. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will, and then I skipped a, a couple things and then I, I picked up on this one, this is, which is quite amazing and some people really don't know what to do with these scriptures in Mark 16. Take up serpents, <laughs> And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So as a result, uh, as a basic premise point, we don't fear the enemy trying to poison us. Why? Why? Why would we not fear the enemy's poison? Because it really has no effect on us. Okay, this is a reasoning point. This is like foundational Christianity throughout the ages. I know some of you are like, where in the world is he going with that? I'm not actually trying to take you to a conclusion. I'm giving you reasoning points. This is how we approach everything. So it doesn't matter what it is. When COVID-19 came, my first instinct was to say, okay, we're not fearing this. It does not mean it's not real. And it does not mean it's not, it doesn't have the gravity that maybe some of us have diminished it to say, oh, it doesn't have. I mean, with what's going on in India, you have to admit, it's like, this thing has some potency. It does actually start, it's starting to sound a little more like the plague uh, than what we had originally, right? This, but it doesn't matter. If it is the bubonic plague or it's 10 times worse than the bubonic plague, we will not fear it. We bend our knee in fear before one, and that's God Almighty. He's the one we tremble before. Everything else, we shrug our shoulders. It's water off a duck's back. We belong to him. Now, 
That's Eric talking. I can't talk for you. However, I'm going to do my best to inspire you to remember what the word of God says on this point because it's not just one scripture. Scripture is very clear. You know, there's a lot of things that you're like, well, which way should scripture go on this? How, how do you interpret this? There is no way you can read the scriptures with eyes wide open and come to a conclusion that fear, anxiety, and care have anything to do with the kingdom of heaven. We are the fearless brigade. So points of evaluation. Should we get vaccinated out of fear? Okay, so if fear has nothing to do with our arsenal, our decision-making criteria, do you think it's appropriate to get vaccinated out of fear? I would say no. Now listen to this next one. Should we not get vaccinated because of fear? Oh, that was a trick question, wasn't it? In other words, if you're fearing something, that is not the motivation. Should we put our faith in a vaccination? Sort of guessing I could get the vote from this, this particular crowd on that one. No, we shouldn't put our faith in a vaccination. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. He's our salvation. What is your preservation from disease? Jehovah Rapha. He's the one that as the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, he makes clear his nature to them. I will preserve you from all the diseases that are coming upon the Egyptians. It's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. And it's an eternal quality. It's an I am attribute of who he is. He preserves those that are his for the calling that they have received. It does not mean you will not face ill effects in your body. It just means that the purpose for while you're here on this earth will be fulfilled as you trust your life to him. I don't expect to live forever. I don't expect to not be touched by this world in which we live. However, I do expect to fulfill my commission. Should we put our faith in the fact that we are untouched by all vaccinations? A little trick question too. It's like I am so healthy and my kids are going to be healthy because I'm not vaccinated. Okay, that's, that's, it's inverse, but I'm just saying that isn't where your confidence lies. Either way. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, I grew up with this scripture, and that's why I'm giving the NIV translation on it. So for those of you that are a little offended by my use of the NIV, I feel, I feel like this says it the way I've grown up thinking it. It's, it's actually so similar to the other translations, it's okay. So there is no mangling to it. But for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Okay, so there's certain people, the Judaizers, that are going to feel like unless you are circumcised, you don't have the protection of the covenant. You don't have the benefits of the covenant. So this is a huge issue in early Christianity. You need to do something. You need to go through a certain medical procedure, and then you will be preserved, and then you will receive the benefits. And if you don't, you're outside. We're going to keep you out. Okay, doesn't this sound familiar? You know that this issue has been a common issue in one shape, form, or another throughout Christian history. There seems to be issues like the vaccine at multiple junctures throughout history. And so the key is, how are we supposed to engage this? So there's a starting point right here. For in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, that's our position. What's your position? In You're in Christ. So that's your position. In Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. That isn't what is going to be your salvation, is whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. 
What has value is the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Your behavior is not fear expressing itself through panic. Your behavior is faith expressing itself through love. Your decision-making criteria is love, and you're going to express that love through faith. And this is one of the tensions that we're running into right now. So historic dilemmas, I'll just get some of them out on the table, that are all external things that we need to do to preserve ourselves. Circumcision, food sacrifice to idols, and head coverings. These are all like huge issues in the early church. Now for most of us in here, we don't struggle with these issues. These aren't issues that we relate to. We have no idea why they're even issues. I mean, come on, circumcision? They're actually going to divide over that? That's probably what they would be saying back in the early church looking forward. It's like, yeah, you know, in 2021, a huge division point in the church is going to be something called a vaccine. And they're like, why would that have anything, any issue, any effect upon people? Well, it's because it's like circumcision. Circumcision was, it had a religious overtone to it. And when you attach a religious overtone to something, It makes it an issue of conscience for people. And so as a result, many people can be bound by their conscience, and as a result, their behavior is dictated out of that. Food sacrifice to idols is, again, it has a religious overtone. If someone, you have to admit, now we didn't grow up in this era where food food is sacrificed to idols. Now over in like Cambodia, they still have this issue. But here in America, totally foreign issue to us. But back then, they would have, I mean, say you, you were trying to reach someone in your neighborhood and they're an unbeliever, which is why you're trying to reach them. And yet one of the ways that friendship would be expressed is that person would have a feast and their feast would be sacrificed to their God and they would invite all the people that are important in their life to come partake of that feast. And, oh, that's an awkward one. That's exactly why it was an issue. So this became a huge issue. Then people take that food home, and this is food sacrificed to idols, and they're like, this is food sacrificed to my God, and it is dedicated unto him so that we would be blessed. It's like, well, for some people that don't recognize that that God is nothing, it's actually just a made-up thing, it has no power, they could actually have a conscience issue over that, which is what Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians. So head coverings, and you can say, what does that have to do with health? Well, uh, according to 1 Corinthians 11, it was for protection of the woman from, I know it's going to sound strange even saying it out loud, it's the Bible, but from the angels, right? And so it's like, what's going on here? You see, if a woman isn't covered, then she's vulnerable, okay? So again, it's something that needs to be added to create a protection, Okay, I'm just bringing that into the discussion because this discussion's already awkward. We might as well throw in more. So those are historic dilemmas. Let's talk about historic solutions. Emphasizing Christ, exercising faith, and expressing love. This has always been the solution. Now, I want to give you at least a, a wrinkle to this so that you can sort of understand why this is a tension. We have a lost and dying world out there that needs to know Jesus. And imagine being a missionary, then you feel called to reach India. But imagine India demands that the only way to enter their country is to have a vaccine passport. So 
now you're in a bind because you feel that you must go to India. Who's telling you to go to India? God? Now, maybe there's an underground way you can fudge a passport and do this, you know, on the black market, right? Which then, of course, awakens other (laughs) conscionable issues. But what do you do? And this is actually a key issue. If someone, by faith, expressing it in love, is saying, I'll take the vaccine. I don't fear it at all. It has no power over me, and I am going to go in and share the gospel in India. You follow me? Now, this is, what if the vaccine was manufactured to harm you? It can't harm me. So imagine a Christian with that mindset, which is faith. Okay, now the opposite side could also be true where because of your faith, you feel like you shouldn't touch that. If you felt that the vaccine was the mark of the beast, you could understand why people would be like, I'm not about to take that, and it would be an action of faith that they wouldn't take it. Does that make sense? You see why this is a doozy of an issue? However, the solution is still right there on the screen. The book of 1 Corinthians, the author and the audience. So we're gonna walk through 1 Corinthians just, I mean, real quick here, because we don't even have much time. So this is, the author is Paul, and it says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So this is written by Paul and Sosthenes, if you want to say it that way, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So these are people that are in Christ called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So this is not just a group of non-believers or unbelievers. This is a group of believers. These are people in Christ. The book of 1 Corinthians, the primary reason Paul wrote it. So why did he write this book? You know, when I write a book, I make it clear why I'm writing a book. And so does Paul. Paul is going to make it clear why he's writing the book. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Okay, now this could easily be written to the church today. If you see the issues that they're contending over, you're going like, wow, this is like 2021. That's what's ironic about it, is the book that was written to help the church back in the early days seems to be the same book we need to hear today. And yet most people, to defend their position in their division, will quote 1 Corinthians. That's the great irony of it. So what are the contentions? Let's just look at these. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 12 through 13. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So we see a denominationalism taking place. Denominations are what we specialize in as Christians. You notice that? So what we, we see is now within certain denominations, we have denominations of mask wearers, and mask haters. Some people will not come to church if they expect you to wear a mask. Some people will not come to church if they don't enforce masks. So now we have this one denomination split into two different denominations because I'm of the not wearing masks variety or I'm of the mask wearing variety. Okay, so we are creating again more denominations which 
is the very thing Paul is writing this book to address. It's like, hey guys, we're supposed to be of one spirit. We're supposed to be of one mind. What really matters? What is this Christian thing all about? So 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 24, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So this is a rallying point. What do we represent? We preach Christ crucified. This is the center point. Paul is going to reference this very thing again And he's going to say, this is the most salient, central message. This is what we believe. So we're not about what Apollos teaches over here, what Peter taught over here. We're about this. And as a result, we need to bond together to be about one thing. Pastor Paul has his hands full in Corinth. So let's look at the long list of dilemmas. So we call this, this message called the vaccine dilemma. Well, dilemmas are not unusual in the church. Paul had a whole bunch of them. So contentious and denominationally minded, they're making every peripheral doctrinal theme a dividing point while forgetting the doctrinal theme that is the most important. They're, number two, they're arrogant and puffed up, thinking they're immune to correction and are free to live out their Christianity in any way they see fit. They're, three, they're controlled by the flesh, they're babes, carnal and controlled by self's passion for comfort, control, and recognition. Four, they're sexually immoral, exercising their liberty in Christ in a manner that feels good to them, though it may harm others. Now, this is interesting because we have the liberals there, and then the next one we have the uh, conservatives. Five, aggressively separating from all sinners the world over, hyper-eagerness to please God out of distancing from all that is sexually immoral. So you have those that are like, hey, it's okay to do this, and then those that totally separate from everyone because of it. Number six, taking each other to court, allowing the secular world to make decisions in regard to the church. Number seven, eating food sacrificed to idols, enjoying liberty at the expense of another's conscience. Eight, unwillingness to give up anything, their rights, their earthly pleasures, their possessions, and their control over their life. Number nine, refusing to cover the head properly, showing shocking disrespect and dishonoring to their God-given authority. Number 10, handling communion with utter disregard to the preciousness and sacredness of it, diminishing the value of the shed blood of Jesus. 11, chaotic and disorderly in their use of spiritual gifts, out of control tongue-talking and prophesying. 12, women jumping ahead of the men, dishonor and disrespect, undermining God's clearly appointed leadership. And 13, and even the audacious question of the resurrection. Okay, so we got issues. And praise God, I mean, I I actually really appreciate our church here, uh, just in reading through that list, because though we could have issues if we don't walk through this well, we're not dealing with most of that. So praise God. The church at large is, but not our body. So I'm just going to make that statement and cherish it for a moment. The two ditches in the center line. So we have liberty, law, and love. So I want you to think about the center point of 1 Corinthians, not necessarily the center as far as distance in and distance from the beginning and the end, but the high point, the, the mountain that you're climbing the whole time. 1 Corinthians 13 is like when you've arrived, and that's the passage on love. You see, Paul's whole message is going to get to that. You want to understand how this works? You need to understand this. However, throughout it, you're going to see one group that is going to go left, Okay, this is my left. And isn't that appropriate for liberalism? And they're going to go left, and they're going to emphasize liberty. And then you're going to have another group that goes right. And they're going to emphasize law. And as a result, they're going to contend with one another, and they're going to miss the whole point. So ditch number one, the liberty ditch. 
just a little to the left, also known as the Christian Sadducees. So in the days of Jesus, you had the Sadducees, you had the Pharisees. I mean, you had the Essenes as well, but let's, let's the Sadducees were liberals in their day. They doubted everything that the word said. They, you know, they didn't know that they could take it literally. And then you have the Pharisees. They were the good conservatives. And ironically, some of you are like, I don't know that I want to call myself a conservative if we're going to call it a Pharisee. But that's exactly the point. It's very, easy, it's very easy to move in the right direction. Isn't that appropriate for moving right? The right direction and be wrong. You know who, who crucified Jesus? The Sadducees and the Pharisees. So you can easily miss Christ and harm Christ because you are desiring to promote something that is actually true. Do you know that liberty is a truth? That we are set free in Christ Jesus for liberty's sake that we were set free. And yet, did you know that there is still a standard? That we don't throw out all reason and logic and we don't just do things that harm other people and so there has to be some governance to our life. Higher standard, come on, guys. Both are true. And yet, both can harm if they're not tempered by something in the middle. The motto, I'm free to do whatever I please. After all, I'm a Christian. There's a whole bunch of books written today about this. And they are partly correct. In other words, when we add on a whole bunch of rules to Christianity, oftentimes we diminish and we lose the essence of what it is. And it can easily become a legalistic endeavor. And so some people are like, they grew up in legalism, they throw it all off, and they're like, I'm free in Christ, I could actually do whatever I want. So 1 Corinthians 6 and then chapter 10 also, listen to what Paul says, all things are lawful unto me, all things are lawful for me. Am I not an apostle, am I not free? You can, you can argue this point fairly well, but ironically, you know what 1 Corinthians is about? Paul's talking to those that are, have liberty in Christ, and he's saying, but how are you using your liberty? Ditch number two, the law ditch, just a little to the right. We're going to call that the Christian Pharisee. The motto, I am required to not do this or do that wicked thing, for my ability to show personal righteousness is proof of my genuine Christianity. This is an interesting one, and for many of us in here, this is probably the more likely ditch that we would run into. But listen to the logic. My ability to show personal righteousness is proof of my genuine Christianity. What does Jesus actually say is the proof of your discipleship? It's actually not your personal righteousness. Does that diminish the value of personal righteousness? No. It doesn't also, just because liberty can be misused doesn't mean liberty's bad. And so a standard is not wrong, nor is liberty wrong. It's just that there's something else that is more right. 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and 6, 18. So listen to this. If you're the good conservative, this is what you rally around in 1 Corinthians. You see this, you know, you take note of it, and then you repeat it. I wrote unto you an epistle not to keep company with fornicators. Uh, that's for sure. Those are bad dudes. Flee fornication. I keep my body under and I bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others I should myself I, sh I myself should be a castaway. Flee from idolatry. Get away from this stuff that these liberals are bringing us into. Let us make sure that we create a version of living that is upright and noble and good. That's actually biblical. However, you can see that if that keeps going in this direction without the center, without the pith, without the life, boy, you could be in big trouble. The center line, 
this is what Paul is bringing it all to. I'm going to show you a better way. That's how he finishes 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Love. It's right down the middle. And we could call that instead of the Sadducee Christian or the Pharisee Christian, that's the Christian Christian. The missing ingredient in Corinth and the missing ingredient in the modern church. This is what we need now. Most of our viewpoints right now are being politicized even in our own soul. We are being baited to behave the same way as the world. The world is reviling those that are against their viewpoints. And you know what's happening to conservatives? They're reviling right back. You know what's happening to conservatives who are being hated by the world? We are hating back. You know how many liberals want conservatives dead? It's a pretty high number. But you know how many, Christ- how many conservatives, even conservative Christians, want the liberals to sort of just go away? We don't want them saved. We want them to go away. You see, that's actually not God's heart. And that's where we need to pinpoint that and put our finger on it and go, okay, something's wrong. And it's entered into our environment, which is why we need to purge that. Our agenda is not pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. Our agenda is not pro-mask or anti-mask. Our agenda is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That doesn't sound like a real agenda. You notice that? It's like, well, what are you going to do with those issues then, Eric? Those issues, when they are put in their proper place, actually have better solutions to them than when they reach a priority point. That's where they create havoc. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, and yet I show you a more excellent way. What is that more excellent way, Paul? So 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Now what I did, see what's happening in the book of 1 Corinthians is Paul is taking his different issues that are the contentions in the body, and he's saying you could do this perfect. You could even do this. You could do this. But if you don't do it with love, it's empty and it's hollow. Okay, so what I've done is I've taken sort of in a parenthetical way, And I've taken the original argument he had. Here's what Paul said. Here's what Cephas said. Here's what Apollo said. And we're splintering over this. Okay, so that's how I am putting it together here. Though I aggressively defend the doctrines of Peter, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I vigorously argue on behalf of the conclusions of Apollos, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I animately champion the exhortations of Paul, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You could be 100% right on the vaccine. You could nail it. Scientifically, socially, you could see the diabolical agenda behind it and you could be right. But if you don't have love, you're wrong. That's what I'm talking about today. You see, we as the body of Christ need to be correct with our love. And if we get that correct, then we can land our feet on some of these other issues and how to address them. And we need to recognize that there needs to be a graciousness with how we handle this, lest we end up cutting people off erroneously. 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 3, 4. When one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? When one says, I'm for masks, one says, I'm against masks, are we not carnal? Are we not fighting the worldly battles instead of doing what we're supposed to be doing? The problem in Corinth, they made something other than Jesus Christ the focus. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, this is one of the key themes of all Ellerslie training. 
1 Corinthians, ironically, plays in very, very well to what we call the Ellerslie experiment. How can the body of Christ actually work together? That's our entire desire around here. We're not a denomination. We have people from all over the world that are Bible believers that come from various humorous heritages that all bond together here and forget their humorous heritage and remember what it's all about. It's about Jesus and him crucified. And so this is what I call the North Star. Paul saying to the church at Corinth, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You need one very, very important foundation in your life, and if you get it, you can solve all the other issues. But if you miss it, you're gonna be lost. Just like a compass, what does it need? It needs a north. And once you define the north, you can find your way with the other issues because you have the north. But if you marginalize the north or stick something else in the north position, which people do all the time, that's what these side pet doctrines are. Eschatology is my north. And as a result, you're gonna mess up all the other stuff. Soteriology is my north. We get a north over vaccines, masks, Trump. Dead serious, there are people that have looked at Trump as their savior unwittingly. And if he was just the president, then we would be saved. For what? What is he gonna save you for? We have one savior. Do not allow a replacement into that position. Do not allow your North Star to be shifted or switched out. The love Christian. That's the Christian Christian. I know it sounds sort of weak, doesn't it? Instead of the bold Christian. It's like the love Christian. It sounds sort of sappy. I I recognize because the word love doesn't have a muscle to it anymore. It doesn't have the strength to it. So what does love do? Remember the, the little to the left? It harnesses liberty. That's what it does. And it uses the liberty, but it uses it lovingly. It harnesses the standard, the law. The righteousness of God. You know the righteousness of God never changed even though we change covenants? God is still righteous. He's still holy. But love harnesses that and actually is able to fulfill it because love is actually the highest form of behavior. And you know, there's all sorts of different discussions that you could have on this. You know, sort of like Corey Tenboom, who has Jews hiding in her home and the Gestapo come up and ask the question, are you hiding anyone? No, I'm not. It's like, how could she do that? Because what she's doing is the highest behavior. She is giving life. She is loving. Isn't that, I mean, oh, those are tension points, aren't they? I mean, to just reason through those things. But that's always been what history and Christian history has recognized as the chief behavior is love. And it fulfills the law. If you love, then you're not going to commit adultery. Why? Because you love And so as a result, it's not that we need to dish out, do not commit adultery. What we do is we give a positive law and we say, you start loving and you're going to behave as Christ would towards your spouse. Only that which flows out of the power of heavenly love is worth anything in the grand landscape of eternity. The anatomy of love, God's nature of humble, selfless giving. Self-denied decision making. So let's walk through 1 Corinthians and this is what Paul is going to do. Sexual immorality, what's love in this situation? Food sacrifice to idols, what's love in this situation? 
And his answer is shocking to the church at Corinth. Because the first thing he's going to do is he's going to poke at the people that have all their knowledge about food sacrificed idols. And they're correct. He's even going to say that they're right. But their knowledge has puffed them up. And that is that all, you know, God is the only God, and all of these idols are false. Therefore, God, since he created the food, I can eat it. That's actually what they're saying. And he agrees. That is true. But he says, you have liberty, but you need to leverage that liberty with love. Because you're actually tripping your brothers and sisters around you who actually have a weak conscience. And because of that, you could actually lead to their eternal destruction. I have given you liberty, not so that you could leverage it, for your own gain, for your own satisfaction and comforts, but so that you could serve others with it. And that's what Paul is going to do. He's going to flip liberty on its head and show that it was given to you so that you could serve and you could love with it. Head coverings, what's love in this situation? We're not going to go into that, but that would be a fascinating discussion, one that I've walked through with many people. Communion, what's love in this situation? Tongues, what's love in this situation? Prophecy, what's love in this situation? Order in the church, what's love in this situation? Women speaking, what's love in this situation? What are our 2021 dilemmas? I don't know if you're gonna recognize any of these. So we have vaccines. I put that at the top of the list, not because it should be at the top of the list. It's just on the list, right? But since my message is using it, it's at the top of the list. What's love in this situation? That's the key question. That's where I wanna start. There are going to be people in this room that may already have gotten the vaccine, and there could be people in this room that will die before they get the vaccine. That's quite a difference of opinion. And yet, I want to commission us to love one another and to make sure we do not allow this to be a divisive point. And you also need to recognize there is one truth. In other words, just because... Uh, there can be differing opinions. It doesn't mean that there's, you know, well, we don't know actually. It could be an evil vaccine. It could be a great vaccine. How we receive something often defines if it's going to be evil or good. And that has to do with our faith and our love. And I, I'm working through this personally in regards to my calling and how I'm supposed to approach this for my life and for my family. And that's where I start. And I want to then work outward, I will always probably give an answer to what I am doing personally. You know, you can always ask me. However, I'm not going to infer that upon you. If there's a clear statement in scripture that says in the year 2021, get the vaccine, or if it's clear in scripture, never get the vaccine, those are, those are more clear issues. However, this isn't as clear as that. Face coverings, what's love in this situation? This has been one of the things we've walked through all this past year. So my personal thing, I will... I don't like masks, okay? That's just Eric, and uh, some of you may love them. Uh, I don't particularly like them. I don't like how they impede my ability to communicate with people. I don't like how it covers my smile. I'm smiling at someone, and they don't even know I'm smiling at them. That really bothers me. This isn't normal. I don't want this thing here. However, if it is ever an issue of showing respect for someone, I'll put on a mask without hesitation. It doesn't bother me. However, that's me. If you, in your conscience, did not feel comfortable putting on a mask because it was a symbol of submission and you felt like you couldn't do it, you know that I'm going to stand with you? If you're the opposite end of the extreme, 
uh, where you're like, I am always going to wear a mask because I feel like that is my statement of love to the world in which I'm in, and it's a conscionable issue. I'm going to support that. Even if you're talking with me all the time and you always have a mask on. And I may think in my head, boy, it'd be a lot easier to have a conversation with you without that mask, but I'm going to love you with that mask on. Does that make sense? Because I love you. My priority isn't masks or no masks. My priority is you. My priority is love. Six-foot distancing. What's love in this situation? Sort of hard to greet you with a holy kiss when we're six feet apart. But we could... Maybe it'd be more appropriate. We have little Hershey kisses. We're like, here, take that. The BLM, uh, the Black Lives Matter kerfuffle. This is a challenging one for many of us, especially if you have white skin. How do we relate to this? So what is love in this situation? The demand for white apologies. It's a huge movement across our nation. And if you're white, you should be responsible and you should take personal responsibility and apologize for being white. Not for doing anything specific other than for being white. That's a unique tension. But what is love in this? The demand to defund the police. What's love in this situation? Gender confusion. What's love in this situation? So I was in Starbucks and uh, in Dallas and this person had a mask on and they, they said, here's your chai. I did order a chai down there too. And in uh, a deep voice and glasses. I couldn't really tell what they looked like, you know, because most of their face was covered up. And they turned around and they had long sort of feminine hair and then and they were in a dress. And then I recognized that they were shaped like a woman. And what was weird is I didn't know what to do. I know how to relate to men and I know how to relate to women. I don't know how to relate to someone who's undefined. And I recognized that this is actually a key issue for me is I wanted to reach this person with Jesus, but I almost felt like I was lacking the social tools because I've spent my life developing social tools for how to reach men and developing social tools for how to reach women, but I don't have social tools for how to reach someone I don't, uh, their name wasn't there, and I don't know what to, because usually when a guy hands me a drink, I'll say, thanks, bud. That's what I'll say. What do I say? because I don't know who this is that I'm dealing with. That is a very real thing that we are encountering, and here's what I'm gonna say. I want us to be armed not with disgust and hate, but with love. My desire is to reach that person, not spurn them because they're making choices that I think are incorrect. Well, that's the world out there. If I needed to get away from everyone that was making bad decisions, I need to get out of the world, which is what Paul's gonna say. My goal is to reach the world with Jesus. To do that, I need to be armed with love. The homosexual agenda, what's love in this situation? The abortion matter, what's love in this situation? How do we wield not just our political ideology, but love? To bring about truth, yes. To bring about hope and life, yes. The all-important attitude. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. So, in all of this, let's imagine we begin to apply it to this very issue, okay? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here's what I'm going to describe 1 Corinthians as, just in a nutshell. Liberty, 
leveraged lovingly. You see, this is what was going awry in Corinth, is you had these people that were set free. For instance, the head coverings issue was an issue of liberty because women are taking off their head coverings and the only people in that culture that didn't wear head coverings were prostitutes. So as a result, they were unwittingly disrespecting and dishonoring their husbands because of what they looked like to the culture and to the world. They looked unsubmitted as opposed to, I mean, for most of us, we didn't grow up in a situation where that even makes sense. But the point is, Paul is going to appeal to that. And he's going to bring the issue of love into the solution as opposed to the head covering itself isn't as big of an issue. I mean, sure, liberty is there, but are you leveraging it with love? 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 12 through 13. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world stands, lest I make my brother to offend. So what Paul is saying is your agenda or your desire is to treat others as more important than yourself. It's not to think about yourself. Well, I have the liberty and I have the freedom to do this, but to actually consider others around you. And right now, I'd say that's the best thing we can do. Wow, I put a lot on this page. 1 Corinthians 9. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not you my work in the Lord? For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. You may be free. Like some of you are like, I really don't have an issue with getting the vaccine. I know that some of these conservatives are really concerned about it, but I'm totally free to do it. I just have no barrier in my conscience to do it. But what I want to appeal to you is to recognize that you're in a body. And to show deference and respect on that issue, not to sully your freedom and your liberty. I'm happy you have it. However, to recognize that we're part of a body. And the same is true for those of you that are not for fear's sake, but just for wisdom's sake, saying, I'm just not going to get that. I just see no benefit to that. I see it actually as being more dangerous. And so my wisdom, even my conscience in that, because I'm a parent and I want to protect my family, not for fear's sake, but just for love's sake, I don't feel I should, that you show respect to those that are on a different side of this. I want you to be servants unto all that you might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law is without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I, made, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. You see his goal, you see his agenda, that by all means he may save some. Love, the all-important ingredient. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So here's how we're finishing. John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. This is the chief attribute that we need to be showing. Right now, we're in a very delicate time period of history. We are very vulnerable to splintering. And even if we started going around and talking about our views on this, it could actually lead to contentions, just in this room. And if we started talking about masks, now, my guess is there's a good majority of us that may land in a certain sector 
But even that sector, you could start dividing the sector of how we should relate to the, like for instance, some of you are very happy that I don't like masks. You're like, well, good for you, amen, amen, because masks are of the devil. But then when you hear that I put a mask on when, I, when someone asks me to in a story, you're like, compromise! Okay, that's where I'm just gonna say, love me because my, and, and offer grace to me because my motive is love. That is my motive. My desire is to reach someone and it's not to trip them over something nonsensical. Is that, that's my reasoning. For you, you may feel that to reach them, you need to hold your line and you need to make a clear statement that you are not of this world. There, both can be argued and that's why I was saying we need to service one another in this and not harm one another because we may differ on some of the subtleties of it. And this is Paul's appeal to the church at Corinth. This is my appeal in 2021. I want us to be a triumphant church. I want us to win this thing. I don't want us to be foiled by the devil's agenda. And if the devil is concocting a potion to destroy us as the church, we can smile back and say, no matter what you try, we're still gonna be around. The church is not going to fail now because God is its head. Jesus is our shepherd. We have a bridegroom. We are being cared for even in our weakness. God is gonna walk us through this. He will stir us. He will awaken us. He will empower us. We are going to make it to the other side. Praise God for that. Father, we need wisdom. We need your mind. We need you to lead us and guide us through these matters. I pray that with this wisdom point of Christ first, of faith and of love, you would lead us to sound conclusion that is marked by your nature, your character. Lord, that our actions would be befitting of the kingdom of heaven and that we would showcase your life. Lord, we love you. It's in the precious name we pray, amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. To take this specific message deeper through our daily Thunder discussions, visit ellerslie.com, where you can also explore our sermon library or learn more about joining us in person at the Church at Ellerslie here in Windsor, Colorado. Thanks for listening.